Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have back a guest that we've had on the show once before, Simon Clatworthy from Start Your Earnout Now. Now, today we are talking to Simon about where we have a sale of a business that revolves around a team, not necessarily a traditional asset-based business business. So we talk about why this can be a problem, where Simon has seen this occur in the past, and indeed where I've seen it occur in the past as well, why this can pose an issue for the business owner in selling and also for the buyer in buying the business. And we also talk about resolutions for this type of business and broader themes. So the concept of how we can use early preparation to deal with this type of issue and many other issues in gearing businesses up for a sale. So buckle in, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, Simon. Welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast. It's fabulous to have you back on the show. Wonderful to be back, China. Okay, wonderful. All right, so Simon, today we're talking about this whole topic of selling a team rather than a traditional asset business in cases where I guess the team is seen as the greatest value, the greatest asset value of the business. Maybe give us a quick insight into where you have witnessed this happening before. Have seen it on a number of occasions and perhaps most recently was last year when I was asked to help a woman sell her small digital marketing agency in which it was her two employees and she had up to six consultants working for her at any point in time and she was approached by an international puppy listed company because they wanted to try and get access to a client of hers and heard she had been doing some great work and said why don't you come and join us we'll give you a great salary hey and by the way, if any of your team want to come along as well, they can come as well and we'll employ them. So that was the context that I was asked to come and help. So the purchaser was looking and saying, well, you don't actually have a business at all. We're just hiring some talent to give us access to a really great client. So what I had to do first step was to educate the owner of that business to say, hey, you do actually have a business. You're not just a group of people providing a service to one or a number of clients. You've actually got a journey genuine business. And to me, a business is a collective of people or assets delivering a service to customers. So I said, so to start with, there is goodwill there and they've recognized that. They just don't want to do it as a business sale per se. They saw it as an inverted commerce, which I thought was a pretty cute term, an acquihire. So an acquisition hire. You know, I've been doing M&A for 30 years and it was the first time I'd heard that phrase. So I've put that one in the back pocket and I'll use it again moving forward. 
That's right. <laughs> we might create a bit of a jargon dictionary here. We can add that one to it. I like it. <laughs> Indeed, we can. So it was a really interesting process on both fronts. First, to educate my client for the importance of making sure that it was a business sale. So every dollar that she got was deemed to be on asset account rather than accessible income account, part A. And then secondly, having to go through the process to say, how do we actually really make this thing look like a business? So it's not you just selling a little bit of time to one client. So you had to sort of go back, make sure all the employees and consultants had appropriate contracts and that they could survive a transfer of ownership and make sure that they were incentivized to stay for a period of time. A, and that was obviously a really important component. Then secondly, with these types of sort of small businesses where they're heavily reliant on one or a number of customers is to ensure that that customer is happy to come across to a new owner, recognizing that the team that's going to deliver the service to them is not going to change in the near to medium term. A really interesting example that you're talking about here. And I think it's interesting because we're talking about two perhaps slightly different topics. One, relating to the tax advantages of structuring this type of approach in a number of different ways. And I think there are a number of consultants or brokers in the industry that don't quite have a clear, grounded understanding perhaps of this difference where you're talking about the difference between their capital account and income as a whole. So I guess just the short answer there is just that they're taxed differently if someone is to earn income as earned revenue as from a sale of the business as a whole versus their income for their time, basically. But not just the taxation element. I guess there is also the value element. Like what I hear you saying is the value is not just, well, there is value in the team, obviously, but there's also value in the client and value in the business as a whole. And this really, to me, comes back to these bigger questions. Number one, about preparing your business business for sale before you hit the market on the basis of understanding what the value and the assets are in your business, number one, and number two, locking in that value. You need to have understood it in order to be able to communicate that to a potential buyer, but you also need to have locked that in so that a buyer feels that their risk is mitigated in terms of paying something for those assets that you're telling them that they should be acquiring. 100%. And Now, we're obviously talking about a team-rich type business slash asset. So making sure that you've got that team securely, not that you can tie them in forever, but the reality is making sure that you've got them as well remunerated and as tied to the business as possible in the forms of remuneration post-transaction is really important in my view, A. And then secondly, making sure that your customer base is secure as well. And obviously, a little bit off topic, but that whole concept of making sure that you don't have too much customer concentration, i.e. one client doesn't represent a disproportionate amount of your revenue such that if something were to happen to that customer, your business is still there. And interestingly, you know, I'm doing some work with another consultancy business, getting them ready for sale at the moment. They've got three customers and one of their customers represents 75% of their revenue. And, you know, you look at that and say, on the face of you go, well, you don't actually have a business because if that customer were to go, you don't have a business, which is true. 
but the, you know, the flip side is with that particular client of mine, the relationship between that and that customer is unusual in that it has been going on for 15 years. They have consciously decided the client being the client of my client to actually use them as an outsourced business. So they are, if you like, vertically integrated. So they've almost got this symbiotic relationship where one can't exist without the other. Right. Okay. I see. So yes, the concentration's there, but it's de-risked because of the symbioticness and the interrelatedness between the two corporate entities. When I'm advising buyers, I might often look at a situation like that and say, okay, great, that's how it's been for the last 15 years. So perhaps it will continue or perhaps there'll be new management. Who knows? You know, things change, don't they? And so I guess the question is putting yourself in the shoes of the buyer, quite often buyers will will rightly want something to feel that they have protection lest this asset or key component of the asset of the business not be for them there in the long run. And I guess then that's when we start talking about risk sharing elements, like for example, the earnouts or some sort of conditional payments based on the work continuing from that client base, particularly where it is concentrated in the ways that you're talking about here. And I guess Viewing this from the perspective of we're approaching it from recognizing the value in the business and then locking in that value, looking at the remuneration and the staff piece, what is it that you did in this particular case then to lock in that as a key asset to make the buyer view it as an asset? Maybe just a quick interluding comment, what I did with that client before we went and actually worked out what the requisite value or the right price to to get the purchaser to pay, we modelled the business and said, what will a business look like if you continue to own it for the next two to three years? What revenue, what earnings will you generate off the back of it? So we used that as a starting point and then said, under the prospective purchaser, what's your business going to look like and what are the opportunities under a changed investment environment where they've indicated that they're going to invest a lot more money, open you up to all their international clients that you don't currently have opportunity exposure to? What can that make your business look like and what type of upfront payment do we need to secure to make it worthwhile transaction A for you and then B, rather than again having it on an income account, what type of earnout structuring shall we put in place or deferred consideration to give you that additional consideration on the way down the track to make sure that it is fair and reasonable to you as the seller and similarly to ensure the purchaser doesn't feel that they are unduly paying for the customers and your small team, recognizing that there's risks that they might lose a customer A and or B, your team may choose to move on as well, which leads into your question was, how did we shore up the value of the people-rich team? We did that by getting a commitment for the team to stay for a minimum two-year period. They were incentivized and we put a back-end incentive in there that if they were still with the business, at the end of two years, there was quite a large monetary sum payable to them. And similarly, we worked with the customers to agree a scope of work minimum for the next two years. So we put a, a project plan in with those customers so we could go to the purchaser and say, we've got our team lined up for the next two years. This is the revenue which the customer has committed to. These are our costs. So this is the contribution margin we should get off those knowing customers. So based on that, you should be able to pay as a minimum up front X, but in addition to that, I want my client being the seller to have the ability to participate in any future revenue and upsides. And we worked out deferred consideration earnout model, which was done on net revenue. That's great. And so 
do you have any feel about what that created in terms of the uplift of value between that first income only offer versus the end result? What we managed to do for the vendor or the seller was the consideration that we projected she would earn over the three-year period. We got the buyer to pay up front. So she received, if you like, three years earnings up front, which I thought was a great result for her. In a more tax-effective way, let's add that too, right? (laughs) Correct. And obviously, she's now obviously got participation where she's getting 25% of the contribution moving forward for a minimum of the next three years. So based on that, she should be able to get in a position where she's getting somewhere in the vicinity of about an extra 30 to 40% more earnings off the back of it. In addition to which, she had not been able to pay herself a fair remuneration or a fair salary, which many do in the small micro businesses and she's now been paid what I would deem to be a fair market level of remuneration as well. Been a great win for her. Deal only got done in December so we're still one quarter in but under the new ownership as there always is there's always challenges when there's an international owner but the mental stimulation is there and the revenue's there and I understand that the clients that have gone across have been really happy as well so it's been a, a great win in that regard. What could have been done better you know on reflection? Had all the contracts and everything in place to begin with rather than trying to backfill and do it in a pressured environment running into a Christmas period is probably one thing that could be done. And, you know, the broader theme is you can't start early enough and you never know when someone may come and knock on your door and say, hey, we're interested in buying you and you want to be ready. That's such a good point. These sorts of changes in the business that you implemented in order for the buyer to see the value of it as a business are actually just good for the business anyway, if the owner was to keep hold, you know, because they had a highly risky business, having such a concentration into one client and into key team members, presumably as well. And, you know, it doesn't take much of a change for that to all go up absolutely pear-shaped. So I think you're absolutely right getting in early. But I feel like we say this all the time, but it's just such an important message for you all to get out to the market, the real importance in early planning. I think it is. And I think one other thing which really came through on that particular transaction, and it's one in which you're selling a team, is small businesses often like to use consultants because of the flexibility involved in using consultants, because you can sort of just turn on the tap when the work's there. Yeah. But in doing that, you actually forego a huge amount of margin, because as a general rule, consultants you bring in for projects, your margin you're probably getting on as a general rule is probably somewhere around 30 to 40%. But the way in which it works, so they're an employee, your actual corresponding margin is probably somewhere between 58 to 60% if you get your charge out rates and so forth, right? So very often you say, yes, I've got a good business, I've got X amount of consultants. But if you're using that volume of consultants, I advocate to consultancy businesses, seriously look at bringing some of that resource in-house as a full-time employee and you will see your contribution margin and therefore your profitability and ultimately the value of your business increase because you get a great better return off that investment. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, how many organisations do you see use that level of contractors though? I mean, it's really, you know, certainly going into a sale, it doesn't look good, but also just generally speaking, it's a really tough way to grow a business because as you say, once you've got the flexibility there, you 
don't necessarily have the commitment of of the team members. And it's really hard to pull everyone together with leadership when your staffing is fragmented by an on-again, off-again nature of the use of contractors or consultants. Totally agree. And that sort of just re-emphasizes a team as a team when they're employed. A consultant is there to provide you with flexibility and float to sort of accommodate variable demand. But certainly you want to make sure that you've got a core fixed full-time employment base of employees, which is able to deliver the majority of your revenue so you can actually get the requisite amount of return from that. Mm, Absolutely. I really like the theme of today. I, I have actually seen in quite a few instances in the past, businesses go to market and either sell or not sell because that happens too, the not sell sometimes where the business has just not spent the time and attention in the building phase to make it clear that what the assets are in the business over and above the individuals who are involved. And I've seen this actually in quite a few industries, but generally, I mean, you know, service industries, obviously, because for product-based industries, you have the goods themselves, although they can suffer a similar type of issue. But what type of industries have you seen this particularly play out in? I've certainly seen it play out in recruitment and other service businesses. How about you, Simon? Are there other sort of industry particular serial offenders that you're seeing? I think that you're seeing a bit of it at the moment, certainly, uh, because there's been a real implosion in sort of digital marketing, where I think that they're sort of, in adverted commas, that the modern advertising agency, which has sort of become, got into digital agencies, and you've seen an implosion of those small micro digital agencies where they bring a couple of people in, they get one or two clients, they get on a roll, and then they do look to roll in and use these consultants to try and bolster up their perceived number of bodies working within the firm. Certainly seeing it within there and in architectural firms, you're seeing it a little bit, but architects prefer to employ people. So you're not seeing quite as much in that sort of consultancy type sort of model. True management consultants, you see a fair amount of it in there. They sort of ebb and flow and believe it or not, even some of the boutique corporate advisory firms have tried to build up teams in and around the nucleus of sort of one or two, but for them more often than not, the egos of those playing in that particular market come to conflict and they're forever fighting about fees and who brought deals and who didn't bring deals and they spend more time fighting about who's going to take the revenue than delivering the revenue, to be honest. So those are probably the core ones where I'm seeing that particular type of environment evolve. But I think the good news out of this podcast is if you're an advisor or a business themselves who has a business where the assets are a little bit nebulous (laughs) and you've got exposure to a concentration in your client base and really your value is in the team that's not properly locked in. There are things you can do about it if you recognize the assets, protect them, but then maybe use some of the strategies you're talking about here, Simon, in order to build the protection of the assets through, I just thought it was really clever that you use the approach of working with the client and building up a bit of a future plan of work. So that's something that could be taken to the buyer and building in these remuneration strategies for the team members. And just as an aside, the team members in this particular instance were were contractors or were employees? The employees. They're employees. Okay. All right. 
Mm-hmm. And then you use the... So we incentivized the employees. And in fact, we converted two of the consultants to employees just before we completed the transaction, just to assist in being able to ensure that we had the requisite resource permanently available to the team, the business moving across, and just to assist with getting ourselves to the next level of profitability and margin contribution. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, look, there's some really great strategies there, Simon. Thank you so much for talking to us about it because I think it's an issue that we see a bit out there in the market. So rather than just declaring these businesses unsaleable, there's options. I think you've clearly... There are certainly options. (laughs) They are saleable and it just requires a little bit of thinking and positioning and you just got to make sure you prepare and work in advance, have a plan and have an angle. And if you think about it for long enough and think strategically enough, most businesses that are people-rich organisations are saleable. To the extent that you've been able to deal with the buyer's concern about the risk of losing the value of those assets after paying for them. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, correct. And to get fair value, the business owners need to realise they can't get paid 100% up front because of the requisite risks. So there's the educational process to say, you're going to have to work this out over a number of years. So there will be an earnout period involved and part of the educational process of being a corporate advisor, not only negotiating the transaction, it's educating the, the vendor, the seller on the way through the process as well. Yeah, absolutely. All the alternative being that the business seller just starts a little bit earlier and starts to prep the sale in the right way. <laughs> you can never start your earn out too soon. And there you go. And that links in perfectly, Simon, with your organisation name. <laughs> start your earn out now. You've got it. If people want to think about starting their earn out now, where do they find you? They can find me at my website, which is startyourearnoutnow.com, which is the, the best place to go. Or obviously, they can call me on my mobile, 0421 599 616. Excellent. Now, if you're running along the beach or on your commute into work, don't worry, we've got those links in the show notes so you can make contact with Simon in order to talk to him about how you can start your own out now. Fabulous, Simon. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I've absolutely loved it. Likewise. Fantastic. And all the best. And we'll talk again soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Well, that ends our episode with Simon Clatworthy from Start Your Earnout Now. Just as a quick recap, in this episode, we talked all about the issues in selling a business that doesn't have a traditional asset base, where, for example, the key assets in the business might all revolve around team. Many times when we're dealing with the sale of a business, there might be issues in the business like this, where our key assets are called in something that can be very difficult to A, transfer or B, um, provide assurance for the buyer that the asset within that business will continue. So I think some of these issues that we talked about today are really important in terms of considering, number one, maybe other more innovative ways of structuring a sale in this type of environment. But more importantly, the I think the importance of early preparation so that we can help these businesses deal with exposures like this that will prove an issue when they're at the point of exit. And certainly, we also looked at this from a buyer's perspective, which is also relevant because buyers coming in obviously need to ensure that, number one, they understand what the asset is in what they are buying and 
that they have properly protected that asset on an ongoing basis. All right, well, hopefully you found this information interesting. If you'd like more information about this topic, just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to find details of how to contact Simon Clatworthy. And there you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then I'd love it if you would pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.